thank you. Thank you, thank you so very much. It is so good to be here and good to see your smiling faces. I have had 100 speaking engagements canceled because of COVID, and uh, so that's been really around the world. And so to be with you and actually see live people, not on Zoom or whatever, is so cool, isn't it? Yeah? Well, I am glad you're here. I'm glad you're in school at Prairie during COVID. Is that cool? You're going to remember this all your life, you know. You're going to tell your grandkids about this. But I'm glad you're taking good care of yourselves and each other, that you're staying safe. That's what Jesus said to us, stay safe, didn't he? Oh, sorry, sorry, I won't, I, he didn't exactly say that. But I get it, I get it. Take good care of yourselves. I tell people that tell me to stay safe, you know, thank you, but stay thankful. I am thankful for my car. Are you, do you have one? In March and April, I got 43 days to the gallon. Are you guys awake? No? Did you get that? 43 days to the leader. Ah, very, very funny. I am thankful for my car. I am thankful that last week I went down to the bank. I went in there with a mask on, you know, and, and I didn't get arrested. I did not get arrested. How cool is that? Are you thankful? I am thankful that my wife is still laughing at my jokes. After all of this that we have been through, I posted on Facebook, she found it funny, to the guy who stole my glasses, do not underestimate me. I will find you. I have contacts. <laughs> okay, you like that one. All right. Well, I want to show you a picture of my grandkids because I'm thankful for them. Can we do this? Yeah, there we are. 13 grandkids in less than five years. Kaboom. People say, are, 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 are you Catholic or Mormon? You know? I say, I'm exhausted. That's what I am. I'm exhausted and very, very happy. They are so much fun. None of them are quite right. They're like their grandpa. It's so cool. Wow. Judah is three. He's right in the middle toward the back, uh, blue hat kind of looking not even close to the camera. He said, he was talking with his mama, and his mama said, she, she's my daughter, she said, Judah, God made you special, and he loves you very much. And Judah smiled, and he said, and I know the muffin man. <laughs> Kids. Sometimes they're full of faith. Seth, where is he? Seth is, yeah, he's hanging on to me. He's got a blue hat uh, with a shark thingy on it. He was holding on to me, and, and he, 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 well, he, he was, what did he say? I hope I can remember. Um, it's always better when you know. He said, my favorite part of the day was having joy. His mom said, what's joy? He said, joy is when you be happy and have love in you. He's three. Sophie, age five, just asked Jesus into her life. And she is full of faith, like many of you. She's just full of faith. She prayed, dear Jesus, take daddy's headache away and give it to Satan. <clears throat> Where's Sophie? Oh, I got a picture of Sophie. This is Seth. This is Sophie. There she is. Yeah, she's got a lot of hair. I was trying to borrow some right there. She's so full of faith. And then, and then, a giant book, a hardcover book, leaped off a shelf, landed on her foot. Kabam! Her mother sent pictures to us, and on the way to ER, this little girl watched her foot turn about 50 shades of blue and green and all kinds of things. And she sat in the waiting room, holding on to her mama's hand, and she said, I wish Jesus wasn't invisible so he could come and hold my hand. 
Me too, little girl. Today, we're going to take a brief life, uh, look at the life of a man who had such thoughts. A man of great faith who doubted. Thomas. Thomas. When I was 16, I went down uh, to a record store and I bought a very cool album by the guy named Phil Keggy, phenomenal guitar player. And I took it home and I put it. Have you ever heard of record albums like vinyls? I put that, I dropped the needle on it, and he started to sing, When I get home, I will see all the holy men I read about. Peter and John, you know this? James, Luke, and Paul. Brother Tom, without a doubt. And I got it. Did you? Without a doubt. How cool is that? I love that song. I know the whole thing and I won't bother to sing it for you. But, you know, I, I love speaking to people who get Bible humor. A little kid said the greatest miracle in the world was when Joshua told his son to stand still, and he obeyed him. And that Gracie, you guys get that. It's so cool. Because I'm speaking to secular groups. I can't use that. I can say stuff like a little kid said, and this is true. A little kid said, Christopher Columbus circumcised the earth with a 100-foot clipper. They get that. But they don't get it when I say Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. They don't get that. That's what a little kid said. We love to give people labels, don't we? Marvelous Mark Maxwell, for instance. Of course, you know that one. But of all the labels given, few have stuck for 2,000 years. Doubting Thomas has. Imagine carrying that label around. Thomas's Bible, uh, bio in, in the Bible is, is rather thin. There's not a lot about Thomas in here. We know him as one of the 12 who showed great faith in the first meeting that we have with him. While the other disciples shrank back in fear. Let me just quickly read it to you from John 11. It starts in verse 7. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go to him. <sighs> Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, that we may die with him. Yeah, what faith, huh? We first meet Thomas, he's full of it, full of faith, ready to die, to cash in his chips, to pop his clogs, to go belly up, to knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. Bring it on. Let's get on with it, he says. Let's die with them. But what happens next? I think you know. During the short time between these two accounts, remember what has transpired. The last supper has come and gone. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies him. Herod tries him. The soldiers flog him. All the disciples turn their backs on him, on their master. The Romans crucify him. And the gut-wrenching reality sets in. He's gone. Our master, our rabbi. And now the disciples are locked away, scared, spitless. They are. I'm going to read you what happens next. On the evening of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Help me with this one. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Keep reading with me. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Imagine. Then he began to yell at Thomas, how dare you doubt me after all I've shown thee? Wait, wait, did I get that wrong? Did I mess up? Huh? Let me try that again. Let's try it together. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Wow. Is there more? Jesus said to him, help me. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we've got what? Fearless gallantry, faint-heartedness, great faith, great doubt. Can that be in any one person, do you think? Maybe you say, Calloway, doubt. I've got some. I'm a parent. I talk to God a lot. I say, why is life unfair? I mean, why is it that the people who want to go to bed have to put the people to bed that don't want to go to bed? <laughs> why? What's up with that? Perhaps you ask questions and all you get are half-baked answers. Or maybe you say, doubt? Are you kidding? Me? Doubt I am at an awesome Bible college prairie. I am crammed so full of faith, doubt cannot survive in me. I'm surprised God hasn't just taken me up to heaven. I'm amazed I've been here this long. My favorite Bible verse, Genesis 5, 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I got that memorized. That's me. I'm going up. You just watch one of these days. Whoosh. My friends are going to be impressed when they watch me go. They're already impressed. One of them told me I'm full of it. He obviously meant full of faith, right? <laughs> or maybe you think, doubt? How did you know? I am so ashamed of my doubt. I have let God down. Someone said doubt is sin. I'm likely not a Christian at all. My faith was once a living thing, vibrant, bulletproof. Like my friend who's going up. Who's going to be raptured? Not me. I doubt. I want you to take heart this morning. Jesus knows that we are dust. He doesn't say, get thee behind me, Thomas, does he? He doesn't even call him doubting Thomas. He didn't. I submit to you that that was a very bad rap. Maybe we could call him Thomas the realist, Thomas the believer. Why not? Jesus has shown the others his scars. All the others have seen his scars. Why not me? Jesus, come on. John 2, 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. People, I, I write humor books and people write me to tell me and they call me and say, there's no humor in the Bible. Why would you use it? They don't read it. You gotta read it. They were glad when they saw the Lord. You think? Huh? And you know, here's the thing about guys and stars. Just, just a little explanation that I think will be helpful. 
They want to see scars. When I was a kid, we were playing baseball. The pitcher thought it would be very funny, apparently, if he substituted a rock for the baseball when I came up to bat. Winged it, and he got me. He hit me in the head. He hit me. I went back, and, and kids, all of them gather around. They want to see what's going on. One fainted, of course, but he always was fainting, that little guy. And I mean, it was like I had a sprinkler head. On my, on my head, man. It was like someone struck oil in my head. <laughs> Kids stood back. They jumped back. But about three days later, they wanted to see the scar. They did. I could have sold admission. <laughs> Remember, a little kid had his tonsils out. We wanted to see them. Prove it. Where are your tonsils? <laughs> the disciples wanted proof as well. In John's gospel, Jesus interacts with all kinds of characters. What a book. We see the hatred of the Pharisees, their disdain. We see the confusion of Nicodemus, the faith of the Samaritan woman, the stubborn fidelity of the man born blind. Remember? The disdain of Pilate, the denial of Peter. But the last response in the book of John is reserved for this bold confession, my Lord and my God. Thomas offers us a model response to an encounter with Christ. Trust, faith, belief that leads to confession and action. Thomas. Verse 24 tells us John wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. Or, I'm sorry, that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. Well, where was he? Have you thought of this? Where was he when the others were locked away, frightened out of their minds, thinking, we're next. They're coming. Maybe Peter said, let's hunker in a bunker, you guys. I know the place. You bring the fish, I'll bring my sword. I'm good with it. I can take an ear off. <clears throat> I can slice off anything. Come on. But Thomas was not there. And we don't know why. We're not told why. Back with family, perhaps. There's a book called Urantia. You got to get it. It's amazing. It tells us that Thomas was 29 when Jesus called him as his disciple. He had a wife and four kids. How does the author know this? He speaks with aliens. They tell him stuff. Ooh. you got to get that, don't you think? Can you believe that? We don't know if he had family. We're not told that. Was he hanging with friends who were charter members of Doubter, Doubters Anonymous? Very possibly. At the very least, he was devastated. So many questions. The big questions. How could Thomas doubt? Do you wonder that? He had been with Christ. If I could just spend four minutes with Jesus, I would never doubt again. He had seen the lame walk, the blind see. He'd seen Lazarus come forth. He'd seen Peter float. Wow. But keep in mind, his rabbi was dead. This was the end of the line. Did Jesus mock or trivialize his doubt? Did he? Sorry? No, no. He simply shows him what he wants to see. And we're going to see those scars one day too, my friend. But for now, we are blessed to believe and we are blessed for believing. Are you in a place of doubt today? Are you? Are you critical of those who are? I want you to remember this. Doubt has its reasons and it has its benefits. I assume that if you're in Bible college, you would say, I came to faith by believing in Jesus. But many of us, if we're honest, would say, and then. Those two words, and then. What is it for you? My parents divorced. My brother died. I watched cancer do its thing. 
Maybe you'd admit, I read the Bible faithfully, but lately I'm noticing stuff that offends me. I mean, come on, what's up with bloody battles and a God who does really strange stuff involving plagues and a fish and donkeys? Maybe Thomas experienced reading the Torah and he was ticked off and he didn't have Carmen Imes to explain it to him. Wow. Maybe you've had a horrific experience with one who claimed to be a Christian. Maybe you have. Or you're suspicious of God's motives. I have been sometimes. Maybe your prayers barely reach the ceiling or you've embraced science and you can't see how God and science can be compatible. Maybe you've just always been a skeptical since you were a kid. You wear that doubt like a badge of honor on your chest. Me, I doubt, yeah. You've got the t-shirt, I'm getting in touch with my inner Thomas. Maybe that's it. You know, doubt is very popular today. Have you ever noticed that doubt is more noble than faith in our culture? We have honest doubts and blind faith. Honest doubts, blind faith. Um, can't faith be honest? Can't doubt be blind? Leslie Newbigin wrote this, one does not learn anything except by believing something. And conversely, if one doubts everything, one learns nothing. We are obsessed with certainty, but there's far too much that science cannot explain to us to put our total trust in it. Last week, a young atheist asked my daughter-in-law, Ray Lynn, do you Christians believe in murder? He had spent, uh, murder, <laughs> sorry, that's a good one. Uh, we'll go back, okay, just clip that one out. Do you Christians believe in medicine? Do you believe in science? <laughs> ah, yes. He had spent the weekend with us, uh, and it was amazing, all the questions he had. But you know, we are thankful for science. We are thankful for medicine. You can't talk about the history of science or medicine without encountering a stunning array of brilliant and compassionate Christians. But remember also that science tells us what the world is like. Christianity tells us what it means. Dominic Doan says, science doesn't explain away God, it just shows us how creative and beautiful he is. I like that. Most often, doubt seems traceable to this. How could there be a God when, question, you fill in the blank. Sometimes it's silly stuff. A Facebook friend about a month ago uh, told on his Facebook thread how, how he, he posted, he'd been pulled over for driving with a dog on his lap. And the police officer was very unkind, unforgiving, unsympathetic, and issued a sizable ticket for him doing this. And this guy posted this. He said, this is the last straw. How could God do this to me? God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. Have you noticed that? We treat him like a cosmic plumber who should show up when we bust stuff and just fix it. I say, don't drive with your dog on your lap. Really bad idea, you know. If it's a tiny one, I don't know, but if you're gonna get fined, make sure it's a pit bull, do. Some of you have legitimate questions we could spend a year asking them right here. You have reason for doubt today. When my wife lost five immediate family members in just over a year, thanks to Huntington's disease and cancer, we started to ask questions. Why? How? How could God allow this. You fill in the blank in your situation. I don't know what it is. Thomas models three words for us amid those doubts. And the first one, for the many of you taking notes, 
Mark's taking notes, yes. Honesty, honesty. Thomas did not sit on his doubts and never voiced them. He said, unless I see, I will not believe. Wow. Come on, Jesus, you had show and tell with the other guys. How about me? At the age of 81, my dad told me of his doubts. I was so shocked. I thought, what? The man who was part scotch and part club soda until Jesus got a hold of him has doubts? God had transformed his life. The one who studied the Bible at Prairie and preached and served God on Prairie staff. Are you kidding me? Doubt? Yes. I reminded him that John the Baptist doubted. He knew that. But his honesty meant a lot to me. I was talking with a young, young guy struggling through temptation. And he said, you know, um, tell me something. Are there any Christians who aren't struggling? And I said, yes, there are. He said, really? Cool. I said, I know some. Come, I'll show them to you. He said, let's go. I said, I'll just take you across the tracks here in Three Hills to the graveyard out there. There's a lot of dead Christians out there. They're in heaven now. They don't have doubts. Be real. Doubt can be good for you, my friends. A faith challenged by doubt is often stronger in the end. And I know somebody's going to get after me for saying that. I had one guy come and he said, you, you need to confess the sin of doubt and just believe, brother. Just believe. Let's cast that out of there. Some view doubt as the unpardonable sin. Do you know that? It's not. Jesus never treated it this way. Friedrich Buechner called doubt the uh, ants in the pants of faith. Have you had ants in your pants, anybody? How many have it now? You do not now? Oh, you're okay. All right. Okay. It um, keeps you awake, doesn't it? And these ants, they do. They keep you alert. They keep you scratching. They keep you moving. And that can be good. Doubt brings healthy questions that may itch and sting. It amplifies our thirst for the truth. It helps build a robust faith. Never stop asking, seeking, learning. Blessed are the curious, for they shall receive surprises, friends. You're going to find some surprises along the way. You live at a time when answers are easy. Did you know that every second Google is asked 40,000 questions? What a time you live in. Easy answers are a keystroke away. But please promise me you will not settle for easy answers when it comes to faith. Asking the right questions will help build your faith. You're learning these questions and how to deal with them in Bible college. How cool is that? Are you doubting the Bible? Don't give up. Read it. Pray. Ask God to open your eyes. This book is unrivaled. It is the most accurate and trustworthy text on earth. You know, we go to Israel every once in a while uh, with a, a tour going over there. And on one of those, a guy who was an archaeologist told me this. He said, you realize something? He said, I'm not a Christian. But he said, you know what I take with me when I come over here to dig, to look? The Bible. The Bible. It's our guidebook. There is nothing like it, he said, not even close. And would you remember something else? I don't know is something Christians need to say a little more often. I don't know, but I care. Let's find that answer together. I care. Uncertainty pushes us to a deeper faith. Uncertainty leads us into the beautiful mystery of God. And there is so much you will never understand. You get three theologians in a room, you'll have 12 opinions. You, you just will. It's the way it goes. 
Remember this, it's impossible to doubt something without at the same time placing your trust in something else. Did you get that? Impossible to doubt something without at the same time placing your faith in something else. Eve doubted God and her relationship with God. Her doubt was a direct result of putting her faith in the serpent. What he told her, he, she believed the serpent. Hey, do you ever think, why didn't Adam and Eve just eat the serpent? <laughs> Wouldn't that, you know, helped out things? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I snapped. ADHD kicked in. Faith is alive and well. It is. Just watch America's Funniest Home Videos, and you will see people have great faith in bicycles, in tree branches, in ropes, in unicycles, don't they? But your faith is only as good as the object it's placed in. I began to realize I was a sinner the day that I was about five, maybe six, and I went into our church Sunday morning, and, and I had to use the little boy's room about halfway through. Always seemed to have to do that. And I, I went in there and discovered the coolest thing. I was alone. And I went underneath, I, I went I, in the first stall, and, and I locked it. And I, I got down on my hands and knees, and I went into the next one, and I locked it. And underneath, and I locked them all. And I went back into the service, and I was sitting there listening to something on integrity, I think it was. And, and I got looking down at my hands and my knees thinking, what have I done? I was crawling through guck. Ah. And I knew I was a sinner that very day. I did. I knelt later by my styrofoam bed, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of that and of sins like, you know, chewing gum during church and pinching my sister. And then, as the years went on, my faith did grow strong. And then, I began to realize that it was not enough. That I needed a faith that was not inherited, a faith that was not my own. And I began to wrestle with doubts and objections to faith. Do it. You will find you're better able to provide a reason for the hope you have to skeptics and to yourself. And you will begin to respect and care for others who doubt. Each Christmas, we do a Christmas tour, and we went out a few years ago. This would be the first Christmas in 20 that we haven't. Um, yeah, crazy. We went out with a fantastic musician, and we had such a great time. And on the final day, we were sitting in a restaurant, uh, at the hotel restaurant, before leaving. And he said to us, very honestly, he just said, you know something? I need to tell you, I'm not where you guys are with your faith. He said, I doubt my wife, Ramona, was sitting beside me, and she looked at him. She said, me too. You should have seen his face, the relief, the grin. We had three hours of talking about faith because of that. It was a very beneficial time for each of us. Be honest. Be honest with your doubt. Don't be afraid to ask why. Wrestle. Jacob did. David did. Peter did. Thomas did. If God's silence bothers you, make a little noise. Ask God to speak to you. Often, the best prayers are the messiest prayers. God can handle them. You're not going to make him nervous. You know that? He's really quite secure. You may have noticed that about God. A priest went to visit a man uh, from his parish who was in prison. And the prisoner confessed to his priest. He said, I spent the entire night yelling at God and cursing. I don't think I can ever be forgiven. This wise priest said this, 
We have a word for that as Christians. It's called prayer. Wow. Be real. Christians can be good at wearing masks. We didn't need COVID to help us with that. Let's not be fake. Let's be authentic. Admit our doubts. Come to Jesus as Thomas did. Thomas teaches us honesty. Second word is worship. Worship. In the end, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, we were made for worship and we will worship. I used in talking with an atheist who had me on his talk show the word mystery and he couldn't understand why mystery. Any God who is small enough for me to completely understand is a mighty puny God, not large enough for me to worship. Thomas Nagel, I love his honesty. I want atheism to be true and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. How honest is that? I sometimes breathe the secondhand smoke of doubt but I have found no other faith to give tenable answers to the questions each of us asks. He alone has the words of life. In 1943, Dorothy Sayers wrote this. Uh, It is, uh, well, uh, let me tell you briefly about her. She was known for her mystery novels, created a series of dramatic readings from the life of Jesus for broadcast on the BBC, and made notes for the actors who were going to read the parts. And about Thomas, she said, It is unexpected but extraordinarily convincing that the one absolutely unequivocal statement in the whole gospel of the divinity of Jesus should come from doubting Thomas. It is the only place where the word God is used of him without qualification of any kind and in the most unambiguous form of words. Amazing. Thomas. When my wife Ramona was having seizures, It was unsettling, it was confusing, it was heartbreaking. Every half an hour, grand mal seizure, she was down to 90 pounds, and my doubts ganged up on me and bitterness arrived. One day, I lay beside her on the floor, doing what I could to protect her while she thrashed about, and suddenly I found myself looking up at at the ceiling. I didn't see God there, but I have rarely sensed his presence like I did then. I just turned to thanksgiving, and I said out loud, I was here to catch her this time. Thank you. She wasn't alone. Thank you, Jesus. During times of intense struggle, I began to doubt my doubts because I found no other faith that could sustain me, no other worldview where hardship is seen as a meaningful part of life. Christianity never denies the sorrow of it, never explains the fairness of it, but it does provide purpose in it. And I don't know where you're at, my friend, but new life always begins in the dark. And like Thomas, turn and say, my Lord and my God, and worship. Number three is obedience. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples to go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. But it also says, those there believed and doubted. Wow. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Matthew 8, 17. Say what? I want you to be encouraged as you leave here in a couple of minutes. Still, they worshiped him. They obeyed. They turned the world right side up. I wish we knew more of what happened to Thomas, but Kerala, the most Christian part of India, 
claims him as the apostle who first preached the good news to the people there. Church tradition tells us that Thomas baptized believers, was killed, and of course named patron saint of India. His name in the Indian language, Thoma, is a very popular name there to this day, obedience. In the late summer of 1948, after studying classical Greece at Wheaton, Elizabeth Howard arrived at Prairie for a year of postgraduate studies. The prayer chapel just over here is named after her. Make sure you stop by there and spend some time in prayer. Elizabeth loved life, loved God. She was brilliant. She had great faith. She doubted, calling herself a pessimist, saying it was a gift God uh, had given that ran in their family. And in time, she married Jim Elliott. What a guy. God called the two of them to Ecuador to a violent Stone Age tribe that was edging toward extinction thanks to random acts of murder. So they obeyed along with four other couples whose dream was to reach the tribe with the gospel. On January 8, 1956, after months of prayer and planning, Jim and his four colleagues were savagely speared to death. The tragedy shocked the world through headlines global on the front pages and, of course, devastated these women. Elizabeth wrote this, she made it through each arduous day with a simple mantra, do the next thing. Incredibly, she took her toddler Val, a snake bite kit, a Bible and a journal, and lived with those who killed her husband. Many in the tribe came to faith in Jesus through her books, speaking in her radio program. Betty became one of the most influential women in modern church history. And yet, as she read the Gospels, as she read the Bible, sometimes things troubled her and she would say, what's up with that? She never understood God's strange ways. In her journal, she wrote, why on earth should I endure the hardships, frustration, and humiliation the missionary work means? And then she answered this way, we are commanded. God will not fail to do his part, which is ultimately the only part that matters. Faith does not eliminate questions, she said, but faith knows where to take them. The question for her was not why, but what. Lord, what would you have me do? Obedience. You remember Seth, my three-year-old grandson? A few days ago on their farm, he was watching his mama chop wood. She couldn't split a stubborn knot. And so she said, come on, Jesus, what do I do here? Give me a little help. And Seth heard her and he said, mom, I heard Jesus' voice in, in my tummy. She said, what did he say? He said, you just need to keep chopping and chopping. You too, my friends, stay faithful, stay thankful, be obedient keep chopping. And remember something, doubt is temporary. There is coming a day when we won't need faith anymore. By God's grace, we too will see those scars and join Thomas saying, without a doubt, my Lord and my God. Amen. God, go with you. Thank you for being here. The Lord bless you.